You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville audio podcast. When someone has a certain position or title, there's usually a sense, there's usually a sense of expectation for how they should behave, isn't there? Depending upon that, toll, that role of what that title is. One of the big criticisms of our current president is that he doesn't behave in how we're used to our presidents behaving. Typically, we want our, our presidents, historically speaking, we've always wanted our presidents to inspire us to be better, to do better. So with their words and with their actions, there's this sense of inspiration. Um, with our current president, that's just not his strong suit. Um, and so for, and again, I'm not even wanting to get into close to the, the touching the politics of the situation, but, but part of the challenge is that there, people have expectations how a person should behave, and when they don't meet those expectations, there's usually problems or conflict, whatever it might be. And it's not just related to public officials either, is it? Um, it can happen with our boss or a spouse our, our children, even, uh, on more than one occasion, I've had a conversation with one of my kids, something along the lines of, you know, you get down in their level, eyeball to eyeball, and you say, listen, I need you to understand something. You're Debratka. Debratkas don't do that. <laughs> okay. We understand. We clear? Yeah. Okay. Then we move on. But there's this sense of managing expectations and aligning behavior to those expectations. Similarly, when we find ourselves as a person of faith, certain behaviors are often associated with such an identity. As Christ followers, there is this expectation as to how we should behave and act. Um, whether those are accurate perceptions or expectations or not is a good conversation. But, but behavioral expectations... Really, they go all the way back to creation, don't they? God had some expectations for Adam and Eve. You can do anything you want. Go anywhere you want, eat anything you want, except for one thing. How did that go? Not well. Even that one thing, the one thing they had to do or not do, and they couldn't even do that. So throughout history, the people of God have had trouble aligning their behaviors and to the purposes of their God. And if you call from last week, um, one of the things we were in talking about was that in the Old Testament, we see, you know, David, you know, the, as king and Israel was at its, the Israel was never bigger, stronger, wealthier, better off than under the leadership of King David. Then his son Solomon took over and then Rehoboam took over and went down the line. But Rehoboam, um, really, uh, at the beginning of his kingship was a jerk, to be put it bluntly, and he caused the rift between, the, between Israel, the country of Israel. And we ended up with not with one nation, but two groups. Remember, Israel was made up of 12 tribes. Ten of them went with um, another one of, uh, another offspring from, uh, from David, and then, but two of them, Judah and Benjamin, stayed with, within that line. But you had the schism within the Israelites for, for literally decades, if not a couple centuries. And all over that time, you had good kings and bad kings. Under good kings, the people would follow God. They'd get rid of all their idols, and, and there would be this respect and, and behaviors that represented the fact that they were the called of God. 
Then you'd get bad kings, and usually that didn't go well because you'd see these idol worship would begin to enter in, and they'd begin to adopt some of the customs and cultures of neighboring groups, and God, that didn't work out very well. And, and then when things got really bad, God would then raise up prophets who would then come in and say, listen, you need to, you need to change your ways. And there's numerous prophets identified in, in the, the Bible, in the Old Testament. In fact, there's 15 of them who have books named after them. So 15 different prophets. And the message in all the prophets is pretty similar. There's warnings of impending judgment for their sin and disobedience. And then there's words of hope of what will happen if they repent and return back to their God. Now, one of those prophets was named Micah. Now, he's one of 12 what we've known as minor prophets. If you look at the Old Testament, the, very, the, 12, the, the last 12 books... They're real short. That's why they're called minor. Um, it has nothing to do with significance or impact or relevancy. It's just that they're real short uh, in, in, in content. Um, and so there's 12 of them there, and Micah is halfway into that group. Um, Bible scholars stuff, there's no clue as to how the books were ordered. We don't know. There's no priority. There's no ranking in, you know, in any form. No one can really determine. They're just there, and Micah's among that group. And for the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at this book of Micah. And we just think that there's some things that, that, that he was dealing with within the country at that time that really do speak to us even today, almost 3,000 years later. So within the book of Micah, the prophet is calling the people back to God and challenging their wrong living. And as we come to Micah 6, Micah is actually speaking on behalf of God. So he's, when he's speaking to the people, he's speaking with the voice of God. And that's where we pick up our passage for this morning. So Micah chapter 6, I want to start reading with verse 1. Stand up, plead your case before the mountains. And again, this is, this is in the voice of God. Micah is writing this, but it's in the voice of God. Let the hills hear what you have to say. Hear, O mountains, the Lord's accusation. Listen, you everlasting foundations of the earth. For the Lord has a case against his people. He is lodging a charge against Israel. My people, what have I done to you? Have I burdened you? Answer me. I brought you up out of Egypt and redeemed you from the land of slavery. I sent Moses to lead you, also Aaron and Miriam. My people, remember what Balak, king of Moab, counseled, and what Balaam, son of Boar, answered. Remember your journey from Shittim to Gilgal, that you may know the righteous acts of the Lord. With what shall I come before the Lord and bow down before the exalted God? Shall I come before him with burnt offerings, with calves a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with thousands of rams, with 10,000 rivers of oil? Shall I offer my firstborn for my transgression, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? He has showed you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the words of Micah that we have a chance to look at today and for the next few weeks. Lord, <clears throat> Um, open our eyes to see, our minds to understand. Uh, Father, I just pray that you would speak to all of us. 
and uh, that we continue to encounter you this day as we already have so far. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, a few things about this text. If I could have verses 1 and 2 back up, please. Um, so I love the way this is set up. So again, stand up, plead your case before the mountains. Let the hills hear what you have to say. So he's literally setting this up as a trial. And the mountains are the jury. Plead your case. Let the mountains decide what you have to say, which I think is just a creative way to set up this conversation. Verse 3. So my people, what have I done to you? Have I bur- so this is an interesting... Um, God flips it. Usually if you've got a complaint against somebody, you start off by saying, hey, here's what you did. Here's what you did wrong, and it's about you. But what, God flips it here. He says, what have I done to cause you to do this? Now, this is a very effective negotiating tactic. I used it frequently with my kids. Um, my, uh, my oldest son, uh, when he was in college, just... There was a couple times he would call and say, hey, and they were in Grove City, Pennsylvania, which is north of Pittsburgh. He called about 10 o'clock one night. Guess what we're going to do? We're going to drive up to Niagara Falls now um, and take a look, and then we're going to drive back, and I've got I to be in class by 8. So it's like a three-hour drive from where they're at up to Niagara Falls to look at the falls at night and then drive all the way back. That did not go over well. Um, <laughs> Betsy's not sleeping for the rest of the night because she's worried about someone driving and falling asleep. With the, you, know, you know what happens? So my conversation with Samuel a couple of days later was, I thought you loved me. <laughs> I thought you cared about me, that, that we have this good thing going on here. Do you realize when you called and you did this, your mom's upset all night and she's upset and all this. And it says, who gets the brunt of that? Not you, me. <laughs> if you love me, you will never do that again. Call us after you're done and say, here's what I did. <laughs> but never call ahead of time and say, here's what I'm going to do if you love me. He's never done that since then. He, you can call afterwards, guess what I just did. Um, but it just, it just flips the conversation. And that's what God's doing here. He says, what have I done to you? And what... And, and, then he then goes on in the next few verses, verses 4 and 5, he then makes his case. And so he says, basically what he's telling them, I've held up my side of the bargain. Remember, I led you out of Egypt, and I gave you Moses, and I've done all these things, and, and I've done my part. So I don't understand, why are you behaving this way? Why are you not living the way you need to be living? And then we get to verses 6 and 7. <clears throat> the voice changes it again. And so the tense, he's now not talking for God. He's now speaking on, he's, he's no longer speaking on behalf of God, but on behalf of the people. And he's asking God, what shall we do? How, what, what does God want? And how, what, essentially he's asking, what will make you happy, God? And then in verse 8, it's interesting here, the last verse, Micah's, even though you would think he's asked, the question was posed to God, Mike is now talking back in his own voice. And so he's, he's not, so it's like the narrator is now, it's all right, here. And so he very clearly said, this is what God wants. 
And he tells him very clearly that, that he's speaking in his own voice that what God wants is for you to act justly. What he wants is for you to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God. So that last sentence there, to act justly and to love mercy and walk humbly with your God, does that resemble anything else you've heard about what God wants from us or what he expects from us? Look familiar? Some of you may be thinking of Matthew 22, and Jesus is talking, and he's talking to one of the leaders, and he, and he says, the leader, he says, what's expected? And he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. So basically, whenever we see what does God expect, he's looking at two relationships. What's our relationship with him? And how are we treating one another? Everything else is just periphery. If those two things, how, how is our relationship with him? How are we in relationship with other people? That's what he's talking about. And so really, if you ask it, if, 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 if you were to ask the disciples, are you growing in your faith? Are you growing in your spirituality? They would look at this, am I growing in my understanding and love for God? And am I growing in my understanding and love for other people? If I can say yes to those things, I'm good. I'm, I'm where, I'm, I haven't arrived. No one can say we've arrived, but we're on the right path. We're, we're where we need to be. We're doing the things we need to be doing. So for the next couple of today and for the next couple of weeks, we're going to dig a little deeper. We're going to take each week, we're going to take one of those. Love, uh, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly. So today then, what is good and required by God is that Christ's followers act justly. So I love the version from the message that of translation that says verse eight this way, but he's already made it plain how to live, what to do, what God is looking for in men and women. It's quite simple. Do what is fair and just for your neighbor. Now, here's the thing. We know God is just. The Bible is very clear in how God describes himself and that he loves justice. Psalm 33, 5 says, The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Psalm 89, Righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. This idea of justice is not a secondary issue for God. It's part of his identity of who he is. We also know that the biblical justice involves making individuals, communities, and the cosmos whole by upholding both goodness and impartiality. Um, when I was first working through this outline and, and this idea of the cosmos, um, it's like, really, isn't that kind of a stretch? Until the verse from Matthew 16 where Jesus is talking to Peter, and he says, I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The reality that what we do, how we behave, how we act, isn't just our own little world, but there are, even in this case, cosmic implications into that. So yes, the Bible is very concerned, and God is very concerned about justice. In actual practice, this means we deliver the downtrodden and the oppressed and focus upon what is ethical and relational. So let me 
let me just address kind of for some of us maybe the elephant in the room. When I say the word justice, I know that immediately some people, their minds go to the issue of social justice. And within the U.S., within our culture, the term social justice has, is loaded, it's a loaded term that reflects, typically speaking, reflects liberal political policy. That's not what we're talking about this morning. Okay, so I'm not going to advocate for one position or another on any issue. In the next few minutes, what I want us to understand is that the Bible is very clear about the matters of justice. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that as a Christ follower, you do not have the option to not be concerned about matters of justice. Whether we disagree or where we disagree and get tripped up is when we attempt to solve the issue. That's where we might disagree when it comes to policies and practices and institutional responses. But as Christ followers, these have to be of concern to us. They have to be. So from a biblical perspective, what does it look like when we act justly? Well, one of the things it looks like is that we act as we take a stand and condemn injustice. So what does that look like? It's not posting rants on Facebook. As much as we love that feeling of what it is to vent, and, you know, I could use other words, um, the white, what some people just feel. And then sometimes they feel, all right, I've, I've done my bit. I've spoken out. I've now taken a stand. And that ah, doesn't work. I mean, that's not good strategy. You might feel a little better, but man, that's just an awful lot of noise out there in cyberspace, bouncing around. Psalm 82 tells us, defend the cause of the, and of the weak and fatherless. Maintain the rights of the poor and the oppressed. For most of us, we're never going to have a national platform for addressing issues. We're not going to be on the news interviewed, and we're not going to be standing before Congress giving testimony, and we're not going to change things at the national issue. But that doesn't mean we don't have opportunities all around us. Maybe it is writing a letter to a congressional representative about a national policy, or maybe it's attending a city or a council meeting when a particular issue is on the agenda. Maybe it's attending the school board meeting when they're talking about policies within our schools. Or maybe it's just speaking up at work when we see someone being mistreated or something's not right about what's going on. The other thing I would suggest about this area is that we need to be thoughtful in our response. Just because someone else is upset and wants you to boycott a certain business doesn't mean that it's the right response for you. That we have our culture is just has this snap response and reaction to stuff without actually even investigating is it even true? Um, let alone is that the right response? So when make sure you have facts, make sure you understand what's going, educate yourself. But more importantly, when you see something, when you observe something, when you're aware of something, the Bible is very clear that we need to advocate for those who are defenseless. We need to advocate for those who are suffering from injustices. So, but condemning injustice is not enough. The second thing that this, might, this would look like is that we act as we refuse to show partiality but treat everyone with fairness. Verse 11, we re, after we, the passage we read in the screen, the, the verse 11, just a couple of verses later, 
Micah actually identifies one of the things that's going on there. What was happening is all the business people were falsifying their scales. So in other words, if you're going to sell me your grain and I'm going to pay you, I'll make up a number here, I might pay you 10 bucks for every, every pound of grain, I'm going to alter my scale. So even though you have a pound, it only is going to read on the scale as, eight, as maybe 10 ounces. So I'm going to, I'm going to, it's going to be light. And so I don't have to pay you as much. But then I then can take that and turn around and sell it and make a whole lot more money. But I'm cheating you because I've got an unjust scale. You can flip it too. So if I'm buying something from you, I want to make the scale heavy to show that I'm actually giving you more when I actually am. But that was happening constantly. And what we see other parts of the mic of what was happening is that people were using legal means to take property from other people. Sound familiar? That happens today as well, where it's all legal, it's just not right. It's just not right. That was happening. And we see this in, in all, it was, but it wasn't just one or two individuals. It was quite prolif, prolific within the culture that people were behaving in ways that they were mistreating others, they were stealing from others, and it just wasn't supposed to be. James 2 says, if you really keep the royal law found in Scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. So showing partiality is not something we should be doing. We should be treating people fairly and accurately and honestly. And I would like to think that most of us got that one down. I would like to think that within this room, I think we're okay there, that at least we're, we're aware that we shouldn't do that, and we're not intentionally misleading people or deceiving people or stealing from people. Um, but clearly that was happening within the book of Micah and with the people of Israel at that point in time. Lastly, we act as we work for the good of the poor and the oppressed. So it's not just condemning what's bad, and it's not just you know, treating everyone well. That it says that we actually need to do something positive in that regard. Proverbs 21 tells us that to do what is right and just is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. <clears throat> and that's what Michael was saying here, too. The people are saying, so what? Should we you know, give a, uh, all these rams, you know, rivers of oil? Should I give God my firstborn? which is your most valuable, you know, for, for in that culture. And God's saying, no, I don't want that. It's not your sacrifice that I'm interested. Not that, I'm, not that he's uninterested, because sacrifice was still part of their, their, their formal ritual. But he said if a rit, that formal without the heart is worthless. It still is a byproduct of what is in your heart and what's happening. Doing what is just is not only not doing wrong, but also actively doing what is right and attempting to restore what is broken. James 1 says that religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. The Bible is very clear how we're supposed to be treating other people. And that those who have the capacity and the opportunity and the wherewithal to do something must work at, at resolving injustice. If you've got the opportunity position to do so, we don't have the option to sit by and watch. And I have to confess, <clears throat> um, as I was preparing you know, for this sermon, you probably noticed that I haven't given many personal stories. 
um, you know, of me being involved in issues of justice and, you know, marching this and doing that. And over the years, I've, you know, I have written a few letters to my con- congressional representatives. I've attended a few council or board meetings. Um, I actually spoke at one one time, so I, d- I have done it. Um, but I've never carried a picket sign. And getting out in front and doing those type of things is just not really uh, something I've participated in. So preparing this sermon has been a challenge for me as I've had to rethink and relook at, at my own life and what that looks like. And, you know, if you're like me, as you've been listening this morning, you may be kind of reassessing your own level of engagement, whether it's at work or, you know, in your community, at school, neighborhood, to what degree are we engaged? About me, with myself, I've, I've discovered a couple things over the last few days. And one is that I'm, I'm very uninformed about local issues. Part of it is because we're, we're still not living in Statesville. We're still, we're still, so I have an excuse, but that really is an excuse. And it's not one that can, I, can, I can maintain. But a little bit more of concerning to me, a little bit more, is just the fact that I've, if I'm really honest, my desire for my own peace and happiness still exceeds my desire for the peace and happiness for others. And again, as Christ followers, we're not called to live that way. Not that we should not care about what happens to us, but that what happens to other peoples needs to be right up there as well. We need to be concerned about stuff like that. So, as a response to all this, I don't have it all mapped out. I can't sit here today and say, here's my plan for changing. I'm now going to become an advocate and an activist in the community. I, I'm, not, I'm not anywhere close to, to saying that. I don't know that God's calling me to that or any of us to that. But I can tell you I'm going to be at Love Life Charlotte this week. I'll be there Saturday. And if you want to join me and, and like I said, Betsy and I are going to be there. If you want to join us, we'd love to have you. Let us know. We can carpool. We can figure out how, what we're going to do together. And maybe this is your first step of, of getting more engaged with your community and within some of the issues of justice in, in your life. Let me know. I do plan to meet with the mayor and other city leaders just to find out what you see as the biggest issues in our community. How can we as a church respond? How can me as an individual engage what's happening in our community? Now, again, in no way do I want to, what I'm sharing to be condemning to anybody. Convicting, that's between you and the Holy Spirit. But condemning, no, because I have no no basis for condemning anyone because I'm guilty, probably more so than anybody. But what I do want to challenge us is that God calls all of us to do something. And so we all need to look at our own lives and what's happening around us. What do we see? What do we observe? And is there something that God is asking us to do? I'm just asking us to pay attention. And then to pray, say, God, what is my role in this? Maybe it is simply just to pray in the background. Maybe it is to take a little bit more upfront, active role. And again, I'm not even trying to identify an issue. It has to do when you encounter injustice or what you perceive to be an injustice, what is God asking you to do in that, situ- excuse me, in that situation? You know what the opposite of love is? It's not hate. 
If you're looking at it from the verb form, the opposite of love is indifference. There's a quote, and you actually have it in your worship guide, I think is just very pointed. Throughout history, it has been the inaction of those who could have acted, the indifference of those who should have known better, the silence of the voice of the just when it mattered most. That has made it possible for evil to triumph. And Lord, may that never be the case with us. May we never be that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, um, these words of Micah are very challenging. On the surface, when you read it, it all sounds great. But when when I, Lord, have just dived a little deeper and, and made personal application as to what this looks like for me, I've come up wanting. And uh, Lord, I know that's not what you want for me. And so I'm not going to project or suspect what, other, what others might feel, but uh, Lord, I, I do suspect that others might feel similar. So Lord, uh, forgive us if there's been opportunities that we've ignored. Lord, forgive us when we just haven't been paying attention. Uh, Lord, forgive us when we've made a decision uh, to not take action when we should have. Father, I pray that we would be a people that aren't afraid to engage. Not because we're political activists or not because we have an axe to grind or an agenda to fulfill, but because your spirit is guiding us in that direction. Because we know it is consistent with your heart and your passion for your creation, for your people, for those who are suffering, for those who are victims of injustice. Lord, may we be a people that aren't afraid to do what you desire us to do. Give us courage and boldness, Father, that we would be a light that would shine brightly in darkness. Uh, So, Lord, again, I just ask if there's others here who would just need to recommit themselves to those purposes this day, that they would do that even now in their heart. And, Lord, uh, that would manifest itself, Lord, even in the week ahead. Father, we continue to put ourselves in your hands and ask you to shape us and mold us into the people of Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.